Hello, in this week's show, the UN's top humanitarian official says that famine is likely happening in Ethiopia's Tigray now. This while food waste and poor diets continue to handicap millions of children, the Food and Agriculture Organization tells us. We'll also hear about bleak prospects for recovery in the occupied Palestinian territories from UN economists UNCTAD and a global initiative to tackle meningitis with the help of the World Health Organization. That's all coming up in this week's UN Catch-Up, Dateline Geneva. Thanks for listening. First, the news with Katie Dartford. This is the news in brief from the United Nations. Famine is now very likely happening in Ethiopia's Tigray region amid reports that no aid trucks have been allowed in, the UN's top humanitarian official has warned. In a direct appeal to Addis Ababa to get those aid trucks moving, Martin Griffiths told Reuters that a nearly three-month-long de facto blockade had restricted aid deliveries to 10% of what is needed. According to the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, the situation in Tigray remains dire, while the spillover of the conflict into neighbouring Amara and Afar regions has made things worse. Some 5.2 million people now need help in the country's northern regions in Tigray, Amara and Afar, after heavy fighting erupted last November between central government troops and those loyal to the Tigray People's Liberation Front. More than 200,000 lives could be saved annually if a new global strategy to defeat meningitis proves successful, the World Health Organization has announced. The first ever roadmap to defeat bacterial meningitis, launched on Tuesday by the UN Health Agency and Partners, aims to reduce deaths by 70% and halve the number of cases by 2030. It also seeks to reduce disability caused by the disease, which causes inflammation of the membranes that surround the brain and spinal cord after a bacteria or viral infection. In Geneva, WHO Director-General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus urged for greater access to existing tools like vaccines, along with new research and innovation to prevent, detect and treat the various causes of the disease, while also improving rehabilitation for those affected. For the people of the occupied Palestinian territory, 2020 was their worst year since the establishment of the National Authority in 1994, UN economists have said. A new report from trade and development body UNCTAD indicates that the Palestinian economy contracted by 11.5% last year, its second largest dip since 1994. Even before the onset of COVID-19 in early 2020, the Palestinian economy was in disarray amid creeping annexation over the last decade by Israel. Here's UNCTAD's Richard Kozel wright In UNCTAD, like the UN, we believe Uh, very much in the two-state solution to the Palestinian problem. But it's increasingly difficult to hold on to that belief in the face of the high level of indifference of the international community to taking that rhetoric seriously. You can't have a two-state solution with one state. And right at this moment in time, there is only one state. The UNCTAD report noted that in April 2020, Israel announced plans to annex most parts of the Palestinian land in the West Bank, triggering a fiscal crisis. In April this year, deadly and destructive conflict erupted between Palestinians and Israelis after Israeli authorities threatened to evict Palestinian families from their homes in East Jerusalem. A lack of food, hunger and malnutrition affect every country in the world, the UN said on Tuesday, in an urgent appeal for action to reduce the amount of food that's wasted. 
The call comes as the Food and Agricultural Organization said that 17% of all food available to consumers in 2019 ended up being thrown away. An additional 132 million people face food and nutrition insecurity today because of the COVID-19 pandemic, FAO said. The problem of food waste is a global one and not limited to wealthy nations alone, said Nancy Aberto, Deputy Director of FAO's Food and Nutrition Division, Economics and Social Development Stream, speaking at a press conference in Geneva. Food insecurity, hunger and malnutrition are impacting every country in the world and no country is unaffected. 811 million people suffer hunger, 2 billion people suffer micronutrient deficiencies, that's vitamin and mineral deficiencies, while millions of children suffer stunting and wasting deadly forms of undernutrition. The FAO official warned that the high cost of healthy diets meant that they were now out of reach in every region in the world, including Europe. She also said that more countries needed to embrace innovation to reduce waste, such as new packing that can prolong the shelf life of many foods, while smartphone apps can bring consumers closer to producers, reducing the time between harvest and plate. Katie Dartford, UN News. Thanks to Katie Dartford for the news and now to this week's interview with Zarifa Ghaffari, an Afghan activist and politician. In November 2019, she became the mayor of Maidan Shah near Kabul. Zarifa used to be one of the very few Afghanistani women mayors and also was the youngest to be appointed at the age of 26. She has had three attacks on her life and attributes the killing of her father last year to the Taliban. Shortly after they took over last month, she fled Afghanistan with her family, reportedly hiding in the footwell of a car belonging to a diplomat who helped her to escape. Here she is now talking to me on the sidelines of an NGO Peace Talks event at UN Geneva, where my first question was what she made of the new Taliban interim cabinet, which is exclusively male. About the announcement of government by Taliban, I don't care how many main members are there, from how many groups of ethics and tribal because it's men who make war, it's men who make peace. In Afghanistan, it's the, the biggest part of losses, the biggest victims of ongoing conflict since more than 60 years. It's women always. I don't care if there are Hazara, Uzbek, Pashtun or whatever, but there are no women. So this cabinet, like it's not my cabinet. So I'm not feeling like of it, like something for me or of me. I think I'm, I'm, uh, I have no feel with it. Thank you. Can I ask you what you've heard about life in Afghanistan since the 15th of August, the Taliban takeover? Since the 15th of August, unfortunately, life is getting so hard for everyone. The financial situation, poverty, the level of violence, the level of fear, the level of losses, it goes on and always, day by day. So target killings just in Kabul in a day, it's more than 20 person. So people are more afraid. The people who were working with previous government are not able to join their offices. Qualification in my, like in this new government is being part of jihad, being part of killing of people by the name of jihad. 
I know those women who are still afraid of their lives. I know my colleagues in defense ministry, they are already like hiding themselves place to place. They are really worried about their lives because Taliban are calling them about ask, asking about their location. They have been to many of my friends' houses. When they were not able to get them, they tried to harass their neighbors, their relatives, you know, to find the location of the needed person. It's going so hard, especially about women. More than 30% of government, uh, uh, governmental jobs and qualified people, more than 30% of um, Afghanistan economic or financial satisfaction, more than 34% of uh, the growth and developments of Afghanistan. It were women always, but unfortunately, women are now sitting back home. More than 50% of teachers at school, it was women all around the country. But now women are just forced to stay at home. And more importantly, and worse, it's asking women, asking girls not to come to school and abandoning them from school. You say that we need to talk to the Taliban, but who should negotiate with them? A mistake of taking Afghan people out of negotiation have been already made by international community. And the result is the worst situation in Afghanistan. So I, as a Muslim Afghan woman, I am ready to talk to them about what Islamic rights of mine really per Islam, as per Islam, and what I really deserve and what they are ready to give it to me. Like it's something that we need to talk about it and we need to fix it. Because like once again, 2001, an international community won't kick Taliban out of my country. I don't know why 20 years later of kicking them out on 2001, they are back in Afghanistan. Now, you've spoken in the past about when you were a little girl and the Taliban were last in power. Your grandmother told you to sing more quietly out in the street. What specifically do you want to talk to the Taliban about? Taliban attacked me three times. They killed my dad. They destroyed my yesterday and my future, some amount of that. And they took all the hopes and everything that I had and the word that I made it for myself away from me but I'm still ready to talk to them it's not about what I think or what I want it's all about those people of Afghanistan who are unspoken and who really are not still able to judge to speak it out so I want to be the voice of unspoken people of my country but more specifically sorry what do you want to talk to them about I want to talk to them on behalf of my mom. I want to talk to them on behalf of my sisters. I want to talk to them on behalf of my colleagues. I want to talk to them on behalf of my grandmother. I want to talk to them on behalf of all women of Afghanistan who have been already paid a big amount of prices for the war or maybe for the peace. So now they are just lost. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this and tell them that, like, you know, we are not the women of 2001. We are not the women of 90s. If they really want to govern and lead in Afghanistan, they are not able to govern without 50% of Afghanistan, which are women. They are not able to govern without the powerful part of Afghanistan, which are women that have been never been part of war, never been part of corruption. They served this country off of love to this country and nation. So why, like now, they have to pay? For what we have to pay? Why I should pay? Why I am paying? So I think these are the most important topics that we need to talk about it. And if they are ignoring it, they will have the same ignorance in Afghanistan that they are having it right now. Mm -hmm.
thanks to former Afghan mayor, now political activist and exile, Zarifa Ghaffari. It's at this point that I'm going to welcome back Solange Berhotegui-Cortez, who joins us on the line now for her thoughts. Hi, Solange. Hola, Daniel. It was a really powerful interview. But there is one sentence that Zarifa Ghaffari said that touched me deeply. We're not the woman of 2001. This sentence is one of the most feminist declarations I have ever heard in my life. Sarifa Gafari steers our memory, our conscience. She challenges us not to forget. If Afghan women are not the ones of 2001, then who are they? Since 2001, women in Afghanistan have become teachers, students, or journalists. They walk and have taken ownership of public space. They love to sing loudly. We're not the woman of 2001. Means that today, those women do not want to lose their rights, nor the freedoms that they have gained. Protecting the rights of women and girls in Afghanistan is crucial for the future of the country. The United Nations is committed to supporting women and girls' access to education gained in the last 20 years, as well as their full and free participation in the social, economic, and political life of the country. As Sarifa Ghaffari said, if the Taliban really want to govern the country, they should include women. Peace cannot be built without women. We're not the women of 2001 also means that we do not have only one identity, but several. And they evolve over the years. A woman can be at the same time mother, sister, daughter, grandmother, friend, teacher, colleague, sportwoman. The more our rights are respected, the more identities we possess. Daniel. We are not the same as before either. As the Chilean writer Pablo Neruda said in his poem number 20, the saddest verses, we of that time are no longer the same. Today, in 2021, we don't want to write the saddest verses of Afghanistan. Thank you, Solange. Fascinating to look at how our identities are linked to the fulfilment of everyone's fundamental rights. This is a definite watch this space moment. We'll be coming back to Afghanistan soon, no doubt. And great also to have your reference to Pablo Neruda. He's writing about lost love, but I guess it could very well be about a country too. Not sure whether you agree, but there, I put it out there now. This is the podcast wrap, so we better do exactly that. My thanks to you, Solange, for your comments, as ever, to Katie Dartford for her impeccable reporting and news reading, and to you listeners for making time for the show and following the UN's work. Don't forget, if you want more headlines, stories and interviews, just check out UN News. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye for now. Ciao, Daniel. Hasta pronto.